I know that's uh, not quite a text that you think about and think, wow, this must be a really exciting sermon coming as I drop everything. And you'll begin to notice a pattern with when I have people read the scriptures of the morning. If there's lots of confusing names, I'm going to let somebody else do it. Then I don't have to go back to it. So thank you, Doug. You did a great job. Uh, It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, This week has been a, a challenging week, but as I've looked at this text, there's this overwhelming sense in my own life, in the life of the church, and most importantly, in the Word of God, that says God knows exactly what He's doing. And so I'm excited to talk us through the wilderness wanderings, as told by Moses himself. Now, to catch everyone up to speed, here's where we are. We're into Deuteronomy chapter 2, which a way to look at Deuteronomy chapter 2 would be uh, a sermon series from a leader of a people. And that leader of the people is Moses. And so what he did is basically he gave three long, we call them a fancy English word, discourses. Uh, This being part of the first one that goes through about chapter 4. Three long sermons that do a few things. They remind the people of Israel of where they've been. They remind the people of Israel of the law itself. And above all else, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, we are reminded of who God is and why he has worthy of all of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And he also, Moses does this excellent job of also explaining what happens when we don't follow him. And then toward the end of Deuteronomy, which we won't actually get to in this series, we could spend a lot of time in this book, uh, but then Moses kind of gives his last will and testament. He writes, writes some poetry that's just beautiful. It's It's a rich book. Last week, as we turned our attention to the scriptures, we looked at the idea of a radical disciple, and we had a character sketch, uh, first of the people of Israel. And if you remember, I was so proud of myself because I could rhyme for a change. Israel looked at the people God had promised them, and they said to God, God, they're too tall and you're too small. And we often do that with God ourselves. We tell him, you can't do that. Then Moses, in righteous indignation, then looks at God and says, your justice isn't enough. I'm going to do it my way to make sure the people get it. And what he did, it wasn't so much the disobedience of he struck a rock instead of just talking to a rock. I know for us that's kind of odd. If we talk to rocks, there's special hospitals for us. But for Moses, it would have been obedience. God told him, command that rock and water will pour out. And Moses, so frustrated with the people of Israel, did what we all have to be careful of. He acted out in physical aggression. And that's not what God intended in that case. And so we're told, as we look at the scriptures, that Moses was kept out of the promised land because he did not keep the name and the person of God as holy in his life and represent him as a leader to the people of Israel. And so he too is disqualified from entering the promised land. But then we hear of this guy, Caleb. And we're told that Caleb had a special spirit about him. And Caleb followed exactly 
what God told him to do. And Caleb revered the name of the Lord as holy and followed him in every area of his life. Was Caleb perfect? No. But Caleb did what God said, and he and Joshua would later be able to enter the promised land. Well, now Moses turns his attention back to what we uh, affectionately know as the wilderness wanderings. Uh, As many of you probably, if you grew up hearing stories, this is where we spent a lot of time of looking at Israel, of how God miraculously provided for the people with manna from above. Uh, and everywhere he, they went, he guided them, but he kept them out of the promised land because of their sin of unbelief. They didn't believe God could do what he said. And that's where we find ourselves today. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into chapter 2. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you are a loving God, that you are a life-giving God, that you are a just God, and that you are a mighty God. And so this morning I pray that the words spoken would be your words, that we would be faithful to your teaching, and that we wouldn't just hear the words today, but we would respond, that we would grow to be more like you, not just in knowledge, but in, in application and living out the truth of your word. In your name I pray. Amen. Some of you may have heard of a journalist, uh, a famous news anchor named Tom Brokaw. Uh, I grew up most, I think he was telling, t- giving the nightly news as long as I'd been alive, or it sure feels like it. He was always giving the news. He retired a few years ago. But in 1998, he completed a book called The Greatest Generation. Now, I haven't read the whole book. Uh, I've read bits and pieces of it. But in that book, he quotes his explanation for why he calls this particular generation the greatest. And the generation he's referring to is those that were born during the Great Depression, that survived and lived through that in America. He calls, you know, sometimes we Americans really do think we are the greatest. And so you've got to understand there is a cultural assumption there that probably isn't exactly accurate. But anyway, you'll see where I'm going. And so he says, those born in America during the Great Depression that then lived and fought in the Second World War made up what we would call the greatest generation. And this is what he says. He said, it is, I believe, the greatest generation any society has ever produced. He argued that these men and women fought not for fame and recognition, but because it was the right thing to do. When they came back, they rebuilt America into a superpower, and they sent men to the moon. Not bad. When I think about a great generation, I think about the people of Israel stuck in the, in, in the desert and in the wilderness for 38, for 40 years. They had that word you and I may not like to hear, but is so true. They had potential. They had all the potential in the world to follow the Lord, to trust in Him, and to do what He said. But there was so little fulfillment from the people. If you really look at it, of all those men that walked, only two were able to enter the promised land. The rest died under the hand of God for their sin of unbelief. But the amazing thing is, that's not how the story ends. 
The story continues and will continue as God's redemptive story is told throughout the scriptures. And it hinges on this, that God kept on working in spite of Israel. Even though Israel, by their choices, were kept out of the promised land, God continued to work. And that's what we're going to look at today, at what he was up to. But before we do, uh, I, I read uh, some scholarly material this week that had a different theory on why Israel, uh, Israel was kept out of the promised land. And, and you know I like to read widely, and sometimes I like to share that with you. So this is another scholarly uh, assumption as to why Israel was kept out of the promised land. Why it took Moses 40 years. As you can see, there was a promised land expressway but there was only one line and you had to go through it single file. And so to get the entire nation through, it took him 40 years. You know, we can make light of Israel spending 40 years in the wilderness. And I, I like non sequitur. It's, it can be funny at times. And uh, I, I saw this in the paper and said, Dory, I got to put that up. And, but much more importantly, that is not why Israel was kept out of the promised land. If only it were that simple. If only a good civil engineer could have figured out, much like I wonder about getting through any tunnel in Hong Kong, there's got to be a better way. There was a better way for the people of Israel, but they chose their own way. And as we talked about last week, they said, God, we know better than you. And so, this is what we find in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. Then we turned back and set out toward the desert along the route of the Red Sea as the Lord had directed me, me being Moses. For a long time, we made our way around the hill country of Seir. If you go back and you look at the original lang language there, we in the NIV and even the ESV, all the different translations kind of soften this blow a little bit. For, for a long time, we made our way around the hill country. We wandered around aimlessly is actually the literal translation. <laughs> you get this picture. Again, I, I said this when we introduced the series. Some of us as men may have a hard time asking for directions. When I first moved here, uh, I, I thought I was getting pretty good. I'd lived, I think we'd lived here about two weeks. And I had, uh, I'd been with friends of mine, Dan and Gita, uh, to the, the Harbor City Mall, where California Pizza Kitchen was at the time. And so... I found myself in there one day and was really proud and wanted to get a couple things. One, I thought that would be a good mall to shop at. Nope. Uh, and two, I thought, well, I'll just run in real quickly and then I'll make my way back. Well, I got in okay. And then I started walking. And then I started walking some more. And then I discovered there was this whole other part that kept going. And so I kept walking around, but I hadn't paid attention to my bearings. And then I went up and down some levels, and that was fun, and I discovered a lot. And so I'd spent about 45 minutes over lunch one day thinking, oh, look at, look at me how well I'm doing. And then I decided it was time to leave. And so I needed to find my way out to the, heart, uh, to the Star Ferry exit so that I could catch Big Bus 8P and come back to where I know and, and things. Would you like to know how long it took me to get out of that mall? It was 1.30 when I started the journey out. I called Dory at 3 asking help. 
And at 3.45, I found myself on Canton Road. And at about 4.15, I called Melissa and said, I'm not sure I'm going to be home for dinner. And by the grace of God, I just asked somebody, and they said, oh, it's right there. All I needed to do three hours before was ask directions. But no, I was going to figure it out on my own. And so I wandered around that stupid mall for three and a half hours, frustrated, confused, and embarrassed. Because at some point, people had to be looking at me thinking, he's walked by us 12 times. Where is he going? For the people of Israel, they were wandering around of their own accord. The directions had already been given, and they'd just chosen not to follow them. But God still had a plan. And his promises would not be thwarted by the unbelief of a people like Israel. And so while they turned back, they were at the face of the promised land and they had to turn back and go the other way. Look what we see about God right off the bat. As the Lord had directed me. Was the Lord pleased with the Israelite people? No, they disobeyed. They chose not to trust in him. They chose not to believe what he could do. But did he turn away from them? No, he didn't. He continued to direct them. God continued, as we see in verse 2, the Lord said to me, remember Moses was God's chosen mouthpiece for the people of Israel. And God continued to speak to Moses. What do we see there? We see a God that is faithful, even when we are not. Now, did Israel suffer for their sin of unbelief? Absolutely. They wandered around aimlessly, not in Harbor City, but in the wilderness for 38 plus years, for 40 years. But then it was time. You have made your way around this hill country long enough. God is still speaking. God is still guiding the people. Remember, how is he guiding them? Even in their unbelief, God is still doing miraculous things. He's a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. How amazing is that? You know, I live in Saikung, and when I come over the hill, it's just enveloped this time of year with fog. You can't see anything. And sometimes you just wish there was something bright to get you through the fog. And for the people of Israel, God kept leading them. He kept being faithful even as they were not. He kept providing for them even as they said, manna, more stinking manna. You know, God was miraculously providing food from above. And the people were more concerned about their menu choice. You realize that, don't you? They grumbled about their choice of food. That was their concern. And after 38 years, yeah, you might get tired of manna. There's only so many ways you can cook it. But God is still miraculously providing for us. Shouldn't we keep that in mind? 
God kept on working. He kept on speaking, and he continued to guide. The interesting thing that we see here is God gives us another picture through Moses and his account in verse 4. He says that you're about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the descendants of Esau, blood brothers there, uh, uh, Jacob and Esau. Remember, you remember that story, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. And they live in Seir. They will be afraid of you, but be very careful. Why? Well, because if you look, he says, don't provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land, not even enough to put your foot on. I have given Esau the hill country of, of Seir, as Seir as his own. And then later on we read about the same with Lot. Now, what do we know about the Edomites, the people that came from Esau, and the two groups that are mentioned? Like I told you, I'm not going to pronounce all their names. What do we know about these peoples that God kept Israel from? Were they particularly righteous people all the time? No, they were not. But God said he would give that land to Esau and his descendants. God told Abraham he would look after Lot. And so what does God do? He's faithful. He keeps his promises. And he tells Israel, and this is a great caution for us, be careful. You may think you're going right where God wants you, but make sure you're looking to me and my word first. It is very, very, very easy for us to get just a little bit off to begin to turn to the right or to the left. And suddenly we're not looking first to God and His Word and His direction. And as we touched on yesterday in men's ministry, His will and His faithful plan for our lives. And we begin to take control. And you know what that is? That's saying, God, I know better. God, I know what's best for me. I know your will for my life. That's kind of backward. But throughout the scriptures we learn is we should be looking at God and says, saying, as the song says, take my life and let it be wholly consecrated, wholly set apart, Lord, to thee. And so God warns the people through Moses, be careful. Don't get in front of God. As a lead pastor of a church, nothing scares me more than running ahead of what God has for the church. It's a scary thing to think that I could or we as elders and under shepherds could somehow step in front of what God's will is. We will make mistakes, yes, but we pray fervently and we ask you as we finish up actually our 30 days of prayer, we ask you to pray fervently that we would be a church that goes only where God tells us to. That if he says jump, what do we say? How high? Come on, you know that. How high? If he says stop, we stop. If he says go, we don't sit down and rationalize everything. We go wherever he leads and however he leads. And we must be a people of prayer and of the word saying, God, lead us. You let Israel, you'll lead us. And we will be careful. God is faithful to the nations. He's faithful even to Lot's people. He's faithful even to Esau's people. He is a faithful God. Then we get to this amazing verse, and I've already touched on this a little bit. 
The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over you, over your journey through this vast desert. These 40 years, the Lord God, your God has been with you, and you haven't lacked anything. I think I've mentioned to you before, my mom used to remind me that when I want to complain about something, she says, you realize their shoes never wore out. 38 years, or they, they had a plan and it worked. You realize that this entire time, this 40 years of wilderness wandering, and when we come to it here, they're at the, about the 38th year. God gave them everything they needed to survive. Not just survive, but thrive. Wherever he led them, they had all they needed. Whatever he said to do, he provided a way for that to happen. No matter what. He blessed them in the work of their hands. Wherever they went, the land was enough for them. When they stopped, he was with them. When they moved, he was with them. And they didn't lack anything. Yet today, when we consider those points, those crises of faith, sometimes we call them, where, God, what should I do? If I follow you, I'm giving up so much. Are we really giving up anything if we follow God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? I don't seem to think so. Yes, there is sacrifice that is made. But isn't that great? Isn't that exciting to be able to say, Lord, all this, it's yours. It's all yours. I mean... You watch over me. You watched over the people of Israel and they didn't deserve it. I certainly don't deserve you watching over me, but you're still faithful. The very people of Israel who had insulted God but by not trusting in him, they still didn't want for anything. There was nothing they said, we don't have this that God didn't provide within, according to his will. Now, they could have been asking for different food and things, but that was complaining. God was still in the business of providing for his people. And I think back and I wonder, what about us? Do we really believe that God is watching over us? And like so many of the scriptures say, he'll never give us more than we can handle. But at the same time, we're to offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. And he will watch over us. He will provide for us as he's provided for the lilies of the valley. And I think to that great old hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed. I'm sorry, I'm not going to sing it. You don't want that. For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. I'll be honest, this has been one of the most difficult weeks I have ever endured in ministry or in life in my 35 plus years. It's been hard every day of the week. There was a new challenge that was unexpected. And throughout it, I kept coming back to the word. And every day, you know what he showed me? That he is faithful and that he is in control and that this world is not my own, but his. And that he is watching over me, and he is watching over us as a people. And we must, 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 as the other hymn goes, turn our eyes upon him. And I think that's so true, and I wish the people of Israel could have gotten that. They could have seen that God was so faithful and done nothing but said, yeah, God, you're amazing. Why didn't we see that all along? 
Well, then you get to verses 14 and 15 and you realize that 38 years have passed from when they left until they crossed the valley. By then, that entire generation of men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn it to them. The Lord's hand was against them until he had completely eliminated them from the camp. Yesterday in our men's ministry, we talked about this idea of freedom versus election a little bit. God does give us the freedom to make choices. And he also gives us, as the idiom that I'm familiar with goes, he also lets us dig our own graves. There are times when he allows us to deal with the consequences of our unbelief, of our sin, of our rebellion, and those consequences are significant. And God is very faithful in his justice and in his mercy. And God doesn't cease to be merciful because he exerts his justice. And when he told the men of Israel, none of you save Caleb and Joshua will enter the promised land, he was faithful to his word. And his hand was against those that said, God, you're too small. We have to remember, we can test God all we want and keep minimizing him, putting him off to the side. We have to be careful. He might just give us exactly what we want, less of him. He might allow us to live with those hardened hearts. And what happens is the more decisions we make, that's exactly what happens to our hearts. We embrace more sin. We rationalize more behavior. And we say, oh, God wouldn't mind this. Let me be abundantly clear on this point. God hates sin. It is against his very nature. He cannot look at it. There is no sin that God thinks, oh, that's not a big deal. Sin is sin, and God is faithful in disciplining those he loves. He loved the people of Israel, and he still disciplined them out of love. If you're a parent, you get that. How we discipline is a challenge sometimes, but God is still faithful. He means what he says, and he says what he means. There's no duplicitous, there's no God giving double meaning here. He told them they wouldn't enter the land. And the people of Israel walked around for 38 years until those that wouldn't enter were dead. And in times, we read in the scriptures, he actually helped them die. God is a just God. We don't always like to look at that, but he does allow difficult things to happen for his glory. And we can't always explain everything away and say, I know the mind of God and this is why this is going to happen. But I do know that I can trust in a faithful God that is at work. I can't explain why another earthquake had to hit the Sichuan province this week. I can't explain what possessed two men, if it really was those two men, to try to blow up the finish line of the Boston Marathon. I can't explain why there is so much malice and anger among so many that we act out in such hateful ways, save one Massive truth that we try to run away from. We, who are not in Christ, are destined to an eternity in hell. Save from belief and transformation in the person of Jesus Christ, we will continue to live a life of sin. 
we will continue to make choices that glorify ourselves. What do I mean by that? Well, again, I, I looked to some scholarly help to try to give you evidence of what can happen when we begin to take an Israelite mindset where it's all about us. The great philosopher Calvin says it like this. He says, I'm at peace with the world, completely serene. Oh, that some of us could say that. I've discovered my purpose in life. Okay, he's off to a good start. I know why I was put here and why everything exists. Okay, good. You know, and Hobbes is an imaginary tiger friend. Oh, really? Yes. I am here so everybody can do what I want. Well, it's nice to have that cleared up. Yeah, once everyone accepts it, they'll be serene too. You know, it's a funny little comic, and Calvin and Hobbes are usually quite funny. But you know, in all reality, we tend to live like this. We wouldn't necessarily admit it. We wouldn't necessarily say it out loud. But if we look at our life, if we looked at our priorities, if we look at how many times we fight for our opinions, for our rights, for what I want, I comes out a lot. How different are we than a guy that just says, yeah, I want the world to please me. Everything in this world should be designed to please Calvin. And we tend to operate like that. We tend to tell God, make me happy. Do things my way. Make things easy. And when they don't, we get mad at God. And we think it's his fault. When maybe we should be asking the question, God, have I turned to the right or to the left? Have I been a stumbling block to others? Have I done things that have put a wall in between you and me and my relationship with you? Have I been as faithful to you as you are to me? Notice I didn't put his faithfulness in the past tense. He is still faithful, always. Yet we tend to just grab back a little of that control and say, yeah, just this once, it is about me. I deserve this. This is what's best for me. I got to do what's right for me. Right? You know, yeah, yeah, no. If we look at what God was teaching the people of Israel and continues to teach us throughout the Scriptures... God loves us so much that he invites us to obey him out of a response of love to him and his great provision for us. His ways are not our ways. They are way better. But we tend not to believe that. And so we live like Calvin instead. But that, that doesn't stop there. Because today... Moses, through the voice of God, was able to tell the people, you are to pass by the region of Moab at Ere. It was signifying the beginning of the conquest of the promised land, of when God would eliminate some pretty nasty people from the world to bring glory to his name. And in so doing, he would fulfill his faithful promise to the people of Israel. What was the land they were going to enter to be called? Or called? The promised land? 
Well, they were getting there. God faithfully kept his promise to the people. He promised them a land flowing with milk and honey, and he would deliver. He also, the thing I love about God, God our Redeemer. Maybe I'm the only one in the room, but I suspect I'm not. Actually, I know I'm not. The scriptures tell me so. But I have made mistakes. I've made some pretty large mistakes in my life. I've made some pretty small mistakes in my life and everything in between. But, but the great thing about God is he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. And that through him, we can confess our sins and be forgiven and our sins are remembered no more. We look at the people of Israel and they had sinned. You go back to Hebrews, or you go forward to Hebrews 3 and the, the condemnation against Israel and their unbelief was strong and very, very swift. Listen to what Paul says in Hebrews 3. Or whoever wrote Hebrews. I'm sorry, I made an assumption there. He's, and he's warning against this idea of unbelief. And he says, see to it, brothers, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And then he goes on to look at the very people of Israel we're talking about this morning. Who were they who heard and rebelled? They were those that Moses led out of Egypt. And who was God angry with for 40 years? Those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert. And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? See, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So let's go back up. See to it that none of us, let's apply this to ourselves, that none of us has an unbelieving heart. A sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And let's encourage one another to do the same. To turn to God while it is still called today. I don't know everything everyone in this room is dealing with. But I know some things that are very true. My God is faithful. My God's plans will not be thwarted by our unbelief. My God continues to provide according to his glorious and riches. And will do so. And my God is big enough to carry all the burdens, all the unbelief that you are wrestling with, all the rebellion that you have given into lately or a long time ago, but you still hold on to. And God invites us to come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened. And we see here that God had a new start for the people of Israel. Punishment was given. God is faithful in his discipline. Don't get me wrong. But he is so too faithful in redeeming the people that turn to him, that turn and go the other way, that repent. And that's what was beginning here. Today, you are to pass by. Today, the journey continues. God is faithful. He is a God of love that loves us enough to discipline us, that loves us enough to provide for us, that loves us enough to tell us, obey me, my way is best. Do we believe that? We saw how Caleb devoted his life to obeying the Lord.
and it was enough. This week, we see God's love to a people that don't deserve it. And you might think to yourself, I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve the love of God. You're right, you don't. Neither do I. But the amazing thing here is even the people of Israel were loved by a faithful God when they didn't deserve it. It's called grace. May we be a people that are faithful to God because we love him even a fraction of how he has loved us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. You are so faithful, and we so do not deserve it. But you continue to invite us to turn back to you. You continue to invite us to live that full life that we looked at last week, saying you will take care of us. The road may be long and arduous, but you never leave us nor forsake us. You are faithful. Please let our lives tell that story. Fill us with your presence today that we could go out and scream from the rooftops, my God shall supply all I need according to his riches and glory. Make our lives a living testimony today. Amen.